630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Back to McDavid, who earlier tonight scored his 30. One-timer cleft bomb, rebound, score! Milan Lucic with his third career hat-trick, and it's unnatural, Hattie! Riley's going to throw, looks to the left side, throws now over the top. That is complete across the 15 to the 10. Touchdown, Eskimos! Bryant Mitchell! Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. players and uh, everybody involved in OEG they uh, recognize the EPS here for the uh, great job that they did on the weekend um, and we're thinking about the uh, the victims of that uh, that tragedy here in our city and uh, you know they're part of our team we consider all the fans part of our team and we hope that they all heal well and then of course uh, the tragedy in Vegas we're all thinking about that today too it's so it's uh, it's it's hit our team. We're all uh, we're all aware of it, and uh, prayers go out to everybody. Some words of wisdom there from Oilers head coach Todd McClellan, who was very classy today. He came out for his media availability and said, "Before we talk about hockey, let's talk about this." And that was his comment on the uh, the incident, the attack in Edmonton over the weekend. My name is Reed Wilkins. It is Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, six thirty. Chad and certainly a lot of uh, big things going on in the city and around the world. A horrific situation in Las Vegas, obviously that uh, make you realize that sports. Sports are fun, they are a distraction, they are entertainment, and we'll approach this show with that attitude and uh, understand that there are a lot more important things going on in the world. You are welcome to chime in, 780-496-0063. You can also text 630-630. My name is Reed Wilkins. Good to have you along for the ride. Tough one for the Edmonton Eskimos on Saturday night against Winnipeg. That game was there to take, and the Eskimos could not quite take it, but they have taken a step to try to upgrade their club and general manager Brock Sunderland will join us in about 10 or 15 minutes to speak about acquiring running back CJ Gable from the Hamilton Tiger Cats this guy's pretty good I'm sure you've seen him play over the last six years in the CFL his career average per carry 5.8 yards and the Eskimos definitely need a running back Uh, they have not really had a consistent running attack throughout much of the season I think that's putting more heat on Mike Riley with a, a pass rush that can pretty much tee off on the Eskimos quarterback, so Sunderland will check in later on tonight. As for your Edmonton Oilers, as we look at the Oilers report for Nisku Ford, every model on sale every day, Ford above expectations. So, Yessi Puglia-Yarvi down to Bakersfield. Mark Fain down to Bakersfield. He cleared waivers and went today. So the, es- the, the Oilers with 24 players skating today, that is one too many. So either Chris Kelly's going to have to be released from his PTO or Slepeshev will have to go to the minors or somebody will have to be placed on injured reserve. First of all, McClellan on Puglia-Yarvi going down to the Condors. Jesse needs more time. Um, uh, we expect Jesse when he arrives and, and is ready to play. Um, and the same can be said for Yamo to play in our top nine minimum, not on the fourth line. And uh, we didn't feel like he won that position. 
and therefore we wanted to get him into uh, Bakersfield and have him start the season there and get him working on his game. All right, so Puliyarvi will continue to work. Remember, last year he did start the season with the Edmonton Oilers. In fact, he scored it in the very first game, that 7-4 win over the Calgary Flames to open up Rogers' place. Wasn't uh, overly effective, has had some nights where he didn't play a lot, so he didn't really, except for that three-point period he had against the Winnipeg Jets, never really grabbed it here during the preseason. And if you're just comparing the two young guys, the two young right wings, the two guys drafted in the first round the last two years by the Oilers, Kyler Yamamoto was more effective. Here's McClellan. He's got to pick his game up now, and it's going to get tougher, but uh, in our opinion, he won that job, and it's as simple as that. That's why you have training camp. Um, guys compete from day one on, and, and like I said, when we were in, uh, in the planning stages of training camp after the draft, I didn't have him penciled in, but he came here and he opened up our eyes, and um, I feel comfortable putting him on the ice, and uh, he's earned the right to to open uh, the season with our team. All right. Well, he has. I mean, there's there's no doubt about that. Yamamoto has been one, quite frankly, one of the Oilers' better players during the preseason. I, I mean, if you if you look at guys playing the wings, I thought he stood out more than Kajula, stood out more than Puljujarvi, um, other guys who were expected to. to score was to stood out more than Ryan Strom, guys who possibly could have played the right wing. And I think that's going to be a discussion point and a position to watch for the Oilers as we move along is what happens on that right side. Judging from practice today and what they did obviously Saturday in Vancouver, I would expect them to start the season with McDavid centering Maroon and Dreisaitl. So Dreisaitl back on the right wing instead of centering his own line. It's there's it's no doubt it's the preference of the team to have Dreisaitl on his own line, but nobody grabbed a spot on the right side that allowed Leon to stay at center. And McClellan was asked if he was surprised that no one really stepped up and took control of a right wing spot. No, because the the sample size is fairly small. We wanted to give different people uh, or different players, pardon me, an opportunity to play there and. Um, you know, in some sense, if we could have settled on a, on an individual and went a little bit longer, maybe would have found out more about it. But we wouldn't have known what the other guys could or couldn't do. And um, you know, we have 200 days of hockey in front of us. There's there's going to be many players that play with uh, Connor and many that play with Leon throughout the season. Um, I mentioned uh, about a week ago. I don't think training camp ends. I think it's just extends into the regular season and. Um, mentioned to the players that um, now you've competed, you've earned a job, now you're competing for ice time. You know, everybody in the room wants to be on a power play or on a penalty kill. They want to play at least two extra minutes a night. Well, show us. And um, if you're that guy and you continue to get more, that means you're playing well. And if it happens to dwindle a little bit, maybe you should look at yourself and, and get yourself going. And, and, and of course, and McClellan reminds us of this, and then I think you know, we have to remind ourselves of this. There's a lot of hype and anticipation around that opening day roster. The roster is always in flux. I, I, I think that, you know, Todd McClellan said he wasn't, wasn't surprised because it was a small sample size that nobody on the right side stepped up and took a spot. Having said that, I, I think he would have preferred if somebody did. I mean, they had, they had Strom with McDavid and Maroon to start the season. I think they would have thought it was great if, if Strom maybe did more to nail down that spot, at least to start the year. But the lines will be in flux. I don't know if Yamamoto's going to be here be, be, be beyond nine games. I would think that he won't be. 
I would think Slepeshev has a chance to work his way into the top nine. I would think Puglia-Yarvi is going to have a great chance to be called right back up if he goes down to Bakersfield and excels in the areas that they want to excel at. So we'll keep an eye on that story. As for Yamamoto, you know, he got drilled pretty good in Vancouver on Saturday night, but he's, he's used to that. I think um, if you lay down, it's going gonna, it's gonna to show weakness, and, you know, every time I get hit, you know, I want to get up um, just as quick as I went down. So, um, you know, that's my goal, and um, stick to it. And Connor McDavid has noticed that Yamamoto's okay with the physical contact, too. He's been hit a few times, hit pretty good a few times, I think, in Vancouver the other night. It's... It doesn't bother him. I don't know how he bounces back up like that. Uh, it's really impressive, though. Um, you know, those are the hardest guys, the guys that you can beat on. You can knock them down, but they get back up each and every time. And, uh, you know, he definitely has that quality. All right. So Yamamoto does have that quality. The, the league is going to get tougher. McClellan talks about that. You can kind of say, you know, there's those first 20 to 25 games. Then there's a ramp up. Then after, you know, the trade deadline, you get through those dog days in January and February. Teams can see the playoffs right around the corner. There's another ramp up. I, I don't know if he stays beyond nine, but it, it'd be pretty hard to send him back given the fact that he blatantly outperformed. Well, maybe I shouldn't say blatantly. Maybe I'm being too harsh. But that to me, he you know, clearly outperformed Yessi Puglia-Yarvi if you're strictly comparing the two young guys on the right side. So we'll keep an eye on that. The lines today, uh, just to go over them here, McDavid between Maroon and Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins centered Lucic and Yamamoto, Strom with Kajula and Jokinen, Letestu with Kara and Cassian, and the fifth line, Kelly with Pakarinen and Slepeshev, Clefbaum and Larson, Benning and Russell, Nurse and Greibwe, Ovi to the seventh defenseman. So Chris Kelly, a decision will have to be made on his professional tryout contract tomorrow. Uh, it, it seems unlikely to me that he is signed to a contract, but that is another storyline going into that. Oh, by the way, did you see this? Yarmir Yager signed with the Calgary Flames. One year, $1 million. We'll have Pat Steinberg on the show later on to discuss this, why it happened, where he's going to play, how he's expected to help. He is 45 years of age. He's still been a pretty effective player even as he's gotten old. He's got to be the only NHL player older than me. Because I'm 43. I can't think of anybody else uh, that old. But Yager not expected to join the team until Wednesday. So I don't know if we're going to see him at Rogers Place. We'll ask Pat about that. Okay, plenty more hockey talk to come. We have some more comments from Todd McClellan. I mentioned Steinberg's going to be on the show. When we get back, Eskimos general manager Brock Sunderland. He traded for a running back today, C.J. Gable. And you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. All right, so the Oilers home opener on 630 Chet. Presented by Furnace Family, Edmonton's furnace replacement experts. Call 780-4-FAMILY or visit FurnaceFamily.com. Is Wednesday night. We will have the face-off show at 6. We will have the drop of the puck at 8 as the Oilers host the Calgary Flames. D texting in. He says, Reed, I think you will see McDavid and Dreisaitl together quite a bit at home where they get the last change. Could play 22 to 24 minutes a game. Then on the road to split them up to give a tougher matchup for the home team. That is a text from D. And we also have another text from an unnamed 
listener who says, I've been saying for years that the Eskimos haven't had a running game since 2005. Makes it easy for opposing defenses to play pass defense. Well, I think that's a fair point given what we've seen happen this season. Would have been nice to have uh, John White in the lineup, but he got hurt early out for the season. There's been some musical chairs at running back. The latest guy to get a seat will be C.J. Gable, acquired today from Hamilton for two offensive linemen on the Eskimos negotiation list. To talk about this deal, please to welcome to the show Eskimos GM Brock Sunderland. Brock, thanks for coming on. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on tonight. Obviously, uh, a big move today. C.J. Gable coming to the uh, Edmonton Eskimos. I want to ask you about him specifically, but first, in in general, Brock, I mean, uh, a difficult ride for your running back position this year with some of the injuries and and trying different guys at at starters. Just uh, tell me why you you felt it was necessary to to try to bring in a new guy at this time of year. Well, it's kind of a two-prong here. Is one, he's just a really good running back. When he's healthy and he's playing, I think he's in the conversation of being arguably the best running back in the CFL. So that's the first part of it. He's just very, very good, uh, no matter which team he's on or what point in the season or who's injured, who isn't injured. Number two is Trayvon Van got injured, and we're not sure the extent of the injury. He's going to have further testing as the week goes on, but... You know, initial prognosis is, you know, potentially three to four weeks could be longer than that. So just doing our due diligence, we went out and found uh, the best available running back we could when the trade potential came up to make our team better. I mean, you, you touched on Gable a bit. Anybody who watches the league ha- has seen him be spectacular. Uh, I know running backs are asked to block. They are asked to catch the ball, and then they are asked the, to run the ball. Can you can you kind of give us the Coles note assessment of, uh, of his uh, ceiling in those three areas? Yeah, again, I think he's on the top tier of anybody in the league for all three. And one thing that he's especially great at that he, he's really known for with the inner circles and everybody that watches film all the time is his pass, bro. He's an outstanding pass blocker. Um, he's diligent in his film work. He knows who to pick up, watches film with the offensive line. Um, so as a pass pro, he's arguably the best in the league, hands down, uh, by a long shot. As a runner, I think he proved everything that he needs to prove or to define him uh, Saturday night. You know, he had 158. Um, he's dynamic with the ball in his hands. He can run between the tackles. He can move the pile. He can break tackles in space. He's elusive. He can make people miss. And he gets extra yards. And as a pass catcher, he runs good routes and has good hands. So he, you know, across the board, uh, he has the talent level on all facets. All right. Well, we look forward to seeing him in green and gold for sure. Brock, man, I mean, what a season! Seven and zero. Now seven and six. I, I mean, you're still right, right in the in the thick of it. Uh, you know, I know it's nobody likes to see the the losses pile up as they have been. But I, I mean, what do you see? I, I mean, I, I've been watching some of these games, and I just feel like, man, one or two plays here or there. Uh, going back to the Labor Day rematch, uh, Winnipeg. It's all it's almost scoreless for the entire first half. It, there are just it feels to me like there's moments the game's been there to grab it, and and you haven't been quite able to grab it. How do you uh, you assess some of the outcomes recently? Well, I think for the most part, you just describe pro football in a nutshell. Uh, there's a lot of parity. Everybody has a roster full of professional athletes and a and a professional coaching staff. So all games are probably going to be pretty close and it comes down to three or four plays per game. And unfortunately the last six games, minus two of the games, we've been in every one of them, had every opportunity to win. And the other teams made a couple more plays than we have. And that's what it comes down to. So 
we're disappointed. We're frustrated. Trust me. We're as much as the fans and everybody's mad. We're ten times that amount. This is what we do every day, and uh, we exhaust ourselves trying to get wins, and we're going to continue to do so. Um, in the same token, there is a lot of football left, and it's the CFL. And you know, I've been down this road before. Unfortunately, in '06 in Montreal, we were seven and zero and lost seven in a row. And not that I plan to do that here by any stretch, but we ended up in the Grey Cup last year. We were eight nine and one, and we won the Grey Cup. So. Um, as everybody says, you get into the playoffs and you get hot at the right time, anything is possible. So we're not looking back. We're looking forward. Uh, everybody in this building is sticking together. We have a lot of confidence in each other. And next game is the focus, and we're going to take them one by one. And, and hopefully we make those two to three plays in the coming weeks that we haven't been able to make these last four to five weeks. All right, Brock, and one final quick one for you. Obviously, I talked to you last week when news broke of Aaron Grimes coming back to the green and gold. What did you think of his first game back with Edmonton? I thought he was everything that we thought he would be. He was, and not only just the game, throughout the week of practice, his professionalism, his, his leadership, everything from day one was exactly what I'd heard he would be. I wasn't here with him originally, but everything I'd heard, you know, his reputation preceded itself. And he lived up to that in, in spades. And then, you know, he caused a fumble right away. And, you know, he played up to, to what he always had been. So very happy with what he's done. And, you know, we're hopeful that C.J. Gable does the same. Brock, it's always great to have you on the show. All the best against Montreal one week from today. Look forward to talking to you, to you again. All right, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, Brock Sunderland checking in. Eskimos general manager, he has been a busy guy. He has had to be with all the injuries. And again, another injury to Trayvon Van. Part of the decision to go out and acquire C.J. Gable from the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Okay, we got a break for the 6.30 news. Blake Dermott will break down what he saw from the Eskimos on Saturday. We'll have some more comments from Todd McClellan, including touching on the goaltending plan. And we'll go to Calgary, where Yarmir Yager has joined the Calgary Flames. All ahead. This is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Hey, thanks for tuning in tonight. Monday Night Football just underway. Washington at Kansas City. They're just about a minute and a half into that game. The baseball playoffs start tomorrow. We'll have the AL wildcard between the Twins and the Yankees. The Oilers start their season Wednesday night hosting the Calgary Flames. Uh, I was asking Todd McClellan, obviously they want Cam Talbot to play less than the 73 games he played last season, maybe down 60-62, somewhere in that range. That means Laurent Brassois, on average, plays every fourth game. The Oilers kind of start the season with a bit of a spaced-out schedule. They play Wednesday, Saturday, Monday, and then they don't play again until the following Saturday. And I asked if that might affect how easy it is to get LB into a game early. Talbot is going to start against Calgary, and we're going to practice the next day, and we're going to go from there. So, I, um, you know, we're, we're trying to win games. We're trying to get everybody up and running. Um, I expect Cam to play like he did uh, all of last year where he's on the top of his game, and, and he forces us to make very, very tough decisions on a nightly basis. Given that schedule, um, you know, if he is on the top of his game, it may be a little bit longer for LB to get the net. But um, Talb's like anybody else. His play is going to dictate um, how much and when, uh, certainly off the bat. All right, some thoughts there from Todd McClellan. More from him as we move along throughout the evening. We'll go to Calgary, talk to Pat Steinberg about how the Flames are looking, what he expects on Wednesday. And oh, yeah, 
a young man by the name of Yarmir Yager, who has signed on with Calgary as well. 6.30, Chad, the voice of the Oilers and the Eskimos. The next Eskimos broadcast will be in a week, holiday Monday, an afternoon game from Montreal as the Eskimos will try to snap a six-game losing streak. Blake Dermott, former Eskimo, now an analyst for our broadcast here on 6.30. Chad, Blake, welcome back to the show. How have you been? I'm, I've been fine, Reed. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, good to talk to you. Uh, the Eskimos uh, with a trade today that we want to talk about, but let's look back on Saturday night. And, Blake, I'll just throw something at you that I've been saying about that game, and, and I know you don't hesitate to tell me when I've totally missed the point. Uh, <laughs> but I, I just was, uh, I, I mean, I kind of had that Saturday night. I got the Oilers on the TV, got the Eskimos on the laptop. I was trying to follow both as well as I could. I, I just felt, you know, Medlock missed some field goals, The Eskimos' D was hanging in there. Um, You know, they fight back, but they're behind the whole game. But I just kind of felt the the game was there for the Eskimos to take, and they just couldn't make the play or two to take it. Yeah, it had a lot of the same kind of feel that a number of those games had in the first seven games that they played. You know, they... God, I don't know what it is about, and I tried to get this out of uh, Riley uh, uh, after the game or, or anybody, but... I'm not sure what the what the reason is for the slow start. Uh, slow start. We we all question that, and it just is about they talk about execution, execution. But somebody's not executing, or is it consistently uh, one element of the team that doesn't execute? Because the Eskimos need whenever they start well, they win. When they don't start well, they lose most of the time. And uh, it was eight nothing at the at the uh, at the half. It could very well have been uh, seventeen to nothing. Like it was, it was one of those things. Or sixteen to nothing, it could have been. Like they just had nothing going, or they couldn't finish drives. They put themselves into holes, and uh, but it was still eight, eight to nothing at the half. And uh, they came out in the second half, and it started to. I don't know what it is about them making adjustments at halftime, but as you said, you had this feel that they were going to come back and win, we're going to win this game. And uh, of course, the incidents that uh, happened at the end of the game with the pick six. Uh, a bad decision by Riley, uh, cost them the game. But they, again, put themselves into that position on their own merit, and it wasn't something that the other team had done. And and uh, it's it's like a habit that they can't seem to break. And uh, if they uh, if they're not able to break that thing here this starting next week, then they're going to have a, a really long off season to think about how they're going to uh, deal with that uh, next year. Yeah, well, and I mean Montreal is reeling, so you hope the Eskimos get it get it back into the win column against a team that's that's now having a very tough season after starting out kind of okay. I thought their defense looked pretty tough earlier on in the year. Um, you know, there's there's obviously discussion about the quarterback position. I, I think sometimes the quarterback maybe gets a little too much credit and probably, well, not probably, and too much blame when the team loses. Um, but Riley was pick six late in the game with a chance to drive for the winning points. Is he... Well, I think I know the answer, but I'll let you explain it. I mean, is he a little off? Because it seems to me some of his throws aren't quite as consistently precise as we saw earlier in the season. Well, I, I guess from looking at it uh, from from our perspective, that's the uh, immediate uh, uh, analysis is that he's off. I mean, look at how many interceptions he threw in his first five games. I didn't throw any, I believe. And then, and then how many he's thrown in his last uh, eight games? Um, a lot. And how many times has he gone pick six? Or, or at least uh, in the Calgary game, they, he threw one pick six, I think, and then it went the second was run down to about the eight or nine-yard line. So those, those are those are... Uh, a crucial errors that can be tagged on the quarterback, but also 
look at how many changes he's had in his receiving core. Um, look at the the amount of uh, you know you got to get used to timing on certain routes. And I look at that pick six in the in the in the game here. The decision that he made uh, was basically a, a nice read by the uh, corner. But depending on when the receiver makes the cut, those guys are used to throwing the ball on time. And and, uh, and I mean, I'm not, they're not they're not perfect, but they're they're you know ninety ninety nine percent of the time they're going to make that that pass, or it's going to be in a situation where it's knocked down. But you don't have that kind of thing where it's thrown that late, or maybe the receiver he had to hang on to it slightly because the receiver went too deep, or you know just all of these things and question marks. And when you look at the Eskimos going into this game at 253 man games, I think they've lost to injuries this year, and you compare that to uh, uh, um, Winnipeg, and Winnipeg was like 54. Mm-hmm. Five times as many changes that they've had to make, and the Eskimos were 84th uh, player that they put on the roster this year, and Winnipeg was at 59. So, so th- those kinds of changes are uh, obviously contributing to the effectiveness that Riley has, but again, having said all of that, that's his 10th game of the year that he's thrown for 300 game, uh, 300 yards. And I think the record is 14, and he has a chance to, to tie the record. So it's not that he's been playing woeful, but I think it's, it's difficult to, uh, to put all the blame on Riley when you've got so much, so much change happening around him. It makes it very difficult to play that position and be the leader. Our Eskimos analyst Blake Dermott joining us inside sports on 630 Chet. It is 641. Early touchdown for Washington. They lead Kansas City, Kansas City 7-zip four minutes in. Monday night uh, Monday night football. Uh, you know, C.J. Gable is going to be the next guy for the Eskimos at running back. Just had Brock Sunderland on the show. Spoke very highly of his pass protection, which obviously never hurts. And we know Gable can be a very explosive runner uh, when he's healthy. Someone just texted in and uh, Brent saying that he likes Gable, but he feels he's a little too injury prone. Fair enough. Even this year, he's missed four games with injury. You know, they're, the, the pass rush, it, it, they're coming after Riley, it seemed to me, Blake. It, it didn't seem that they respected the run much on Saturday. You've been on the O-line. Just just give me the sense of, of how having a, a good back changes things from what you're seeing from D-line and linebackers. Well, one of the things about a back, much like I, I, in the CFL, I call them the, the uh, sixth offensive lineman, you know, and because you really do have to have that skill set. And there are a number of guys that can run and, and uh, but have had, not had great uh, long careers in this league, uh, really flashy runners and put, uh, you know, carry the ball and get, uh, get points on the board. But, but man, you know, when in, in, in this league where you're lucky if you get, you get 10 touches a game uh, on the ground, you've got a, another 55 plays that you've got to be useful. And, and a lot of times that is blocking or, or uh, uh, you know, setting other routes and, and, and all kind of, you know, things like that where you're not going to see the ball. I'm, I'm much, I'm, you know, the, the difference being in the NFL where a back could get the ball 30 times a game. So C.J. Gable has shown over the course of his career that even his average in touches and when, he, when he does run with the ball, his average is pretty good. And I've always, I've always liked him and I always wondered why they didn't use him more. But again, you know, especially in the last few years uh, with Kolaris there and, and uh, uh, the, the type of offense they ran where they threw the ball an awful lot, a, a guy like him sometimes can just get forgotten about, and I think that's what's happened with him. But, uh, you know, this is a you get closer to the, the leaves all falling onto your lawn, 
and you're going to need to run the ball a little bit more, and he brings some a, a good veteran presence and somebody that has the ability to do that. Yeah, he's going to be important for sure. They need to start grinding out more yards along the ground. Uh, I'll read you this text from Randy because I think it's a good point to bring up, and Randy admits he hasn't been able to watch the last two games, but he says the first four games of the losing streak, I felt like that when the other team is... Uh, running the ball, the Eskimos tackling is or was very sloppy, and Randy says to me that is what is killing the Eskimos. Uh, I, I didn't, I didn't think they tackled that bad against the Bombers, but but clearly, uh, well, to me it was clearly in a couple other games that the, the tackling certainly didn't help. Yeah, uh, and and I would agree with that. Uh, uh, that I don't think defensively uh, a lot of this. A lot of this um, uh, six-game losing streak, it, you know, it's been shared equally amongst uh, the players and uh, different, you know, special teams, offense and defense. But, but I would easily say that the defense has had, um, you know, the lion's share of the blame with respect to stopping other teams from scoring. But then you look at their, their, the uh, injuries. The defense has also had the lion's share of the injuries, and specifically a couple of different areas where, you know, when you, you, you expect in football that you're going, to have a, you're going to have injuries and you expect that you're going to have to have other guys be able to step up. But when you look at the, how, how decimated the linebacking core has been this year and how many different guys have played when you've got three linebackers, and I think there are something like eight different guys have played the, the three different spots. And then you look at the, the changes every, every week at, at the defensive backs. And, of course, the defensive line was decimated for a while. You're losing two of the top interior guys. So, it, so yeah, the, it, when, when you have those kinds of uh, key elements missing out of your defense, then you're going to – the guys that are second string and third string are second string and third string for a reason. And, uh, and you know, you're going to see lapses in play. And from the beginning of the year, we talked about the depth that the Eskimos had because they lost so many guys early and they continued to win. But sooner or later, you just run out of depth. And I think this, this team has, has run out of depth, and now they're just trying to find, hoping that they can get some of these guys back so they can, they can get uh, start digging back into that depth pool. Well, I mean, it's, it's not about getting a home game anymore. It's about getting into the playoffs because that is uh, scary now. Saskatchewan, uh, I mean, only, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter if you finish last in the West and you have a – a record that would be first in the East. They only let one team cross over, so yeah. so they they got to start sneaking out a few more wins. Blake, it's always great to have you on the show. I know you're busy with a lot of different stuff going on, so thanks for popping on this evening, man. I'll see you soon. Reed, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, that is Blake Dermott checking in, former Eskimo himself, now an analyst for our games here on 6:30. Chad, always uh, an astute observer of what's going on with the green and gold. It is 6:45. 780-496-0063 is the open line. You can also text 63630. Todd McClellan talks about expectations when we get back. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in. So a couple of people have texted me uh, po- pointing out that I was wrong, something I said about Chris Kelly. So here, And you're right, I didn't explain it properly. In terms of, I guess if you want to call it the paperwork or whatever, the professional tryout contract will end tomorrow but he can keep practicing with the team so it's not as if so they don't have to say we're not signing you to a contract so you have to leave they can say we're not signing you to a contract but keep coming to practice and hang around and see what happens so that's 
I did not uh, explain that correctly before, so thanks to the guys who texted that in to 630-630. You can also call 780-496-0063, and that is what Cliff has done. Hello, Cliff. Hey, Reed. How's it going? I'm doing well. It's nice to hear from you. Good, good, good. Hey, quickly, I mean, I'm, I was up in the stands there. We're almost having a, you know, a, a laugh uh, saying that, okay, he's going to go to Van again, but he's going to go to Van again. Like, is Van not supposed to be in the backfield, running back, whatever? But he seemed like he was his number one receiver in the last game. Just talking about Mike here, you know? Oh, in terms of throwing to him. Okay, I see what you're saying. Uh, yeah. Let me just bring up the box score. I can't remember how many pass. And as I, as I fully admitted, I was trying to watch two games at once on Saturday night. Yeah. Uh, and I probably watched more of the Oilers since I was... Well, I did watch more of the Oilers since I was doing a post-game show for that. Yeah. Van wound up with five receptions for seven yards, which is obviously poor. Uh, Zilstra had nine catches, as I'm sure you noticed, and Walker had seven. Yeah, so Van, Van got his share of catches. I, I mean, look, it's funny, Cliff, because I know that Moss has said it and other coaches have said it as well, that running the ball is priority number three for the running back. Blocking and catching actually come first. I think they want to use him uh, out of the backfield. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I saw, I didn't f- feel it was an unusual amount of targets, but did you did you feel it was excessive? Uh, not excessive, but too much at the, in the same block. So he oh, I see. Them, okay. He used them like three, four times in a row and became predictable after two that, yeah, it's going to go to Van again. I mean, if I'm seeing it, obviously Winnipeg's seeing it too, right? Yeah. But, but so I'm thinking, like, uh, okay, Walker, I thought he could have moved it around a little bit more. Um, number four, what's his name? Um, oh, Bowman. Where was he? Bowman had a quiet game. He only had two receptions. He like Bowman's not having as good a year as he had a, has had other years. Uh, yeah. I mean, Zilstra's the number one guy, and now the Walker is back. He, he's obviously a very strong one A. So I think yeah. they're gonna they're gonna have to make a decision on Bowman after yeah. the season. And, and but here here's the thing, I, I think Cliff the the first down production I didn't think was there for the Eskimos on Saturday. They were often in second and long. So that didn't help, and, and I think they're probably throwing those passes to Van to try to get him touches out of the backfield because handing off to him wasn't getting more than a couple yards at a time. I would think that's the approach, um, but it, neither approach really seemed to get him a lot of yardage and get him out into the open. Well, I mean, from what we saw, it, just, it was almost a predictable game. Like, he just had nothing for, you know, surprise or razzle-dazzle or, you know, like it's just such a predictable game, even getting picked. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it was just, I don't know. I don't know if Mike's getting tired or what the heck or just had a bad game. But, you know, it, after that, he was he seemed angry and then he shot that just a bullet pass over the middle to uh, Zilstra and it was perfect. Like it was old-style Mike, right? But well, I he doesn't, I, I asked Blake about that. He doesn't seem quite as accurate. Um, and, I, and I'm not in the put Franklin in camp. I know David Morley got some of that after the game. I, I think Riley's the guy. I mean, you get. Oh, yeah. you, There's no doubt. There's no doubt. But like I say, but I, I, I do think the other the, the the like from what I saw, like Winnipeg was sending six or seven guys on every play because they know the run isn't going to do anything. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know. I hope Gable can. The, uh, Franklin, another look. You know, just uh, give him even a couple minutes out there. Like he. I mean, he hasn't had, I think he's had, what, two minutes and seven games? 
Well, he played, yeah, he played, I think he played the last eight minutes of the first of the loss to Saskatchewan. You're right. I, yeah. You're right. I mean, here's maybe, maybe Cliff, I, I would not start Franklin. Maybe they go to him earlier if they need to, if they're not scoring. I mean, here's the, here, the one of the many frustrating things about Saturday is if the Eskimos score a touchdown in the first half, they probably win the game. True. Seven points. That's all they needed. They probably win the game. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Good call, buddy. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for your take care. All right. That's Cliff checking in, 780-496-0063. Got a really interesting clip from Todd McClellan. Do I have time for this here? I do. I do have time for it. Uh, He was asked today, where is the team at, especially relative to when you started coaching the team in the fall of 2015? We're further along in the process. I think that's quite evident. We've rebuilt the team. Um, we've earned the right to be confident, and, and people are talking about us that way. But in my opinion, that just makes it more difficult. It's easy to play when there's not a lot of pressure on you and expectations are fairly low. Uh, when people begin to paint a target on you and you have to perform uh, with that target on your back night in and night out, um, the scrutiny begins. and. Um, I believe I mentioned right at the beginning of training camp, we will get tested during the year. And, uh, you know, when it's raining and the storms arrived and things aren't going so well for us, how do we react? How do we behave? Uh, Make sure our leadership group's uh, proper. Do we dig in? Do we start pointing fingers at each other and blaming each other? Uh, We'll have a few tests like that. There's no doubt about it. Um, That's what those elite teams go through, um, you know, year in and year out and the really good ones overcome it. Well said, and that's what the Oilers are trying to get to. They are good. Can they become excellent? Can they become elite? Yager in Calgary? We'll discuss. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.